This is Dropped Among This Crowd, a podcast that dives into the music and community of improvisational progressive rock band, Umphreys McGee. Each week will feature a rotating schedule of insightful full show recaps, interviews with fellow Umphreaks, members of Team UM, as well as other musicians who have been inspired by and or played with the band. This is your place for all the latest news and happenings within the world of Umphreys, helping keep you informed on what's been recently released or where you can catch the next show. I'm your host, Sarah Jahimiak. Thanks for joining me as we dive in. Are you prepared for what comes next? Everybody, happy new year and welcome to Dropped Among This Crowd podcast. The same show as the Umfreak Parents podcast, but I felt it was time to make the name a little more inclusive of everybody that is in this amazing community. I hope that you love the name change and I would love to know what you think about it. Please feel free to reach out to the show and let me know what you think. I'm very, very excited for this and all of the other exciting things coming for the show and everything I'll be bringing you guys in 2020. So much awesome shit. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday and a great new year. If you were at the shows, I hope you had a wonderful time and traveling went well for you. Next week and the week after will feature two-part episode full recap of all the shows and all the happenings during the New Year's Eve run. This week, in celebration for the soon-to-be-released fifth studio album from Alibaba's Tahini, Bottom Feeders, I will be giving you a little personal review of the new album, as well as my conversation with Alibaba's drummer, Steve Crojo. In case you don't know who Alibaba's Tahini is, Formed in 1997 in South Bend, Indiana, playing an eclectic mix of rock, fusion, and avant-garde music, the original group would include this week's guest, drummer Steve Crojo, bassist and vocalist Carl Engelman, as well as guitarist and vocalist Jake Sinegar. Steve gets into the timeline of other members being added to the band in our conversation, And we also talk about South Bend in the 90s, 
Yeah, I'm super like I'm super proud of South Bend. Um, you know, because I'm local from here, and uh, you know, the '80s and '90s was like just a death trap here for anybody to come to, especially when it came to business and people were fleeing the town essentially. But that's why it's sort of like sort of special in the nineties when, you know, when Jake Carl and I got together with ABT and, and the work we did and the different players that were also, and obviously Humphreys being a part of that scene too. And, um, little Frank Krakowski, who's, you know, actually on the album, um, little Frank, um, mm-hmm. his band that was playing like, there was a nice little scene going on with music in this town that seemed to be struggling and, and it's really something special to, to um, see where South Bend is taking, you know, this huge leap in the last, gosh, not even the last 10 years, probably last eight years uh, where it's really grown. I mean, economically and, and it's booming there and so many people are moving here, whether it's people, you know, looking for tech work or, you know, artists are moving here as well. And it's just really, really popping. So I'm, I'm real proud of South Bend, especially being the guy who's from here. And we also talk about what it was like to bring folks in from the band's past to be on this new album. thought it was really important to, um, to make a record where we can honor the people from the past. Oh, and I'm sorry, like Gretchen Priest, who the fiddle player who's played on numerous tracks on the album um she has someone from our past as well who had a major influence on us so we felt like it was a part of making a record where we can honor some of these people that we played with and not taking what we learned not taking anything for, for granted you know from the past and how we can you know stabilize you know, where we are in the present to send us off into the future as musicians and it was, it was just a, an absolute honor to be able to share a lot of this space with these these musicians who've, you know, from past and hopefully future too. And so much more. A really great conversation. Very grateful to Steve Crojo for his time and chatting with me. It was such a pleasure to talk with him and learn more about the history of Alibaba Sahini. There are a bunch of links to things in the show notes that we talk about. So be sure to check all of that out. Bottom Feeders available on vinyl, the first album of the bands that has been pressed on vinyl, and is also available for streaming January 9th. When you flip flopping around, never ever thinking out loud. I keep the chatter inside with zero compromises to hide. Existing in silence is bliss. Are you trying to find a place to get the word out about your shirts, pins, jewelry, interesting trinkets, band that's going on tour, or small business that's looking to connect with some like-minded folks? Dropped Among This Crowd Pod would love to help, including ad time on the show, ticket giveaways, social media plugs, product reviews, and more. Dropped Among This Crowd can help you reach and be seen by tons of fellow umfreaks, musicians, and other kind folks looking to purchase from you, work with you, and support their fellow um family. Email droppedamongthiscrowdpod at gmail.com if you're interested in chatting more. We've taken all that 
before we get to my chat with Steve, a quick little review of ABT's fifth studio album and first album in nine years, Bottom Feeders. The last studio album from the band Living Room released in 2010. This is the first Alibaba's album that has been pressed on vinyl. Very, very exciting for the band and vinyl fans, no doubt. Certainly happy to be able to finally add them to our vinyl collection at home. I really enjoyed this album, listening to it like a dozen times, honestly. <laughs> I really love the extreme eclecticness that is Alibaba's anyways. And as Steve mentions in our chat, you'll hear um, in here a little bit, this album shows the maturity in the musician's level of craftsmanship as well as the maturity in their personal lives. The little bit that Krojo shares in our conversation about making this album and what it meant to him and the other guys in ABT, after I learned that and then listened to it again, it certainly gave it more of a personal feel. A few of my favorites from the album include Zero, shout out to J.W. Powell on keys in this one, really love his solo so much, Dancing with the Rat, that one I definitely gotten stuck in my head. I love that song. Strollin', A Second, and Resolution. I honestly don't think that there's one song on this album that I don't like. Resolution, actually an Alibaba's original, written by Carl Engelman, sees its very first time given the studio treatment on this album here. I really dig this version. I love how different it is in comparison to what we're used to hearing live from this song and Umphreys. The horns add a nice laid back vibe to the song and I'm really all about when it zips off into the jam section. I'm really interested in hearing an Umphreys studio version of this now to see where they take it. I'm also interested in hearing what other Umphreys think of resolution in this form. If you give the album a spin, please feel free to reach out to me and let me know what your opinion of that one is. From the minute that you strap in and press play, you begin your adventure and breakthrough hearing this heavy opening rift of the first track. And once you hear that startup, you know you're in for one hell of a ride. Honestly, like even as I'm sitting here talking about this, I can hear the opening riffs. Like you just you just need to hear it. You're going to hear it and you're going to go, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> you just fuck yes, let's do this. When you listen, you'll know exactly what I mean, 100%. This album then weaves you along an intermingled journey as each song reveals a different personality that Alibaba's is capable of taking on slipping into each song so smoothly. No doubt this will breathe new life into Alibaba's Sahini, not only bringing new music to fans that have been waiting almost a decade for it, but also shining a light on a band that maybe some Umphreys fans don't even know about, or maybe they know the history, but they've never really dug into Alibaba's or... You know, there's people that were not Umphreys fans in 2010, so they're newer Umphreys fans, so this just, you know, gives them something else to listen to. So, 
Either way, the release of this record is certainly exciting for lots and lots of folks. It's worthy of your time to give this album at least one spin, and if you like it, why not dig into Alibaba's other albums? I threw a whole bunch of links in the show notes where you can find videos and other albums and all sorts of other stuff. So be sure to check all of that out and dive into Alibaba some more because you certainly will not be disappointed. Are you looking for the perfect gift for that rocker chick in your life? Perhaps you're looking for a killer new vintage rock kimono for yourself or a new sweet piece of canvas art for your apartment? Life Clothing Co. has you covered. Featuring the cutest vintage band t-shirts, sweaters with feel-good sayings, rompers, a fantastic selection of beautiful bell bottoms, and some swoon-worthy home decor, you are sure to find something for that special lady in your life or that perfect outfit to wear to the next show. Check out the link in the show notes to take a peek at their amazing Grateful Dead and Led Zeppelin gear. Seriously, you or that lady in your life are going to love their stuff. Life Clothing Co. is your place for authentic boho vintage fashion. And exclusively for my listeners, if you use promo code Sarah Jahimiak, Rep 10 at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your total order. That's promo code Sarah Jahimiak, Rep 10, S A R A J A C H I M I A K R E P, and the number 10 at checkout, and you'll receive 10% off. All right, so here is my conversation with yoga sports coach and Alibaba Stahini drummer, Steve Crojo. Enjoy. Please introduce yourself and tell the listeners, you know, where you're from, your day job, anything else you'd like to mention about yourself. Okay, uh, I am Steve Crojo I'm from South Bend, Indiana. And I'm a yoga sports coach, and I have the honor of working at the University of Notre Dame with uh, the whole university, different colleges, uh, staff, faculty, and athletics. Very cool. How long have you been doing that? I've been doing it uh, since 2004. So, gosh, what, about 15 years now, almost 16, and something that I sort of – not not necessarily fell into, but I, I definitely worked hard to get involved in that. Um, where you know, just being from South Bend, Notre Dame's had a 
very special spot in my heart and uh, not just being, you know, um, a musician, but then also I was an athlete as well back in, in school. And I've always known that student athletes have felt a lot of stress, uh, not just with trying to perform and being their best, but then also how they have to perform in the classroom. So it was a mission of mine to uh, get certified and then work my way onto working on campus and working predominantly with student athletes. But I've been super fortunate where I've, you know, it's spread all over and I work through the Rec Sports Center, work with really at least probably three to 500 people per week on campus alone. And it's, and it's a lot of fun. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I feel super honored. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's, it's all about, you know, it's like a, a drive. It's not just like, it's not just being passionate, but it's, it's, there's a purpose there. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and that purpose is to how can, how can we generate some um, positive energy within the group of people that are there? Because it all starts, you know, in small communities. And how can you create a purpose of everyone being their best, but then at the same time, once they're being their best, how they want to turn to the person next to them and say, how can I help this person be their best as well? And, you know, you just start planting that seed. And, and soon enough, you know, it really spreads out. And I think that's a definite reason why I've been there for 15 years. It just keeps getting better and better each year. That's wonderful. That sounds really amazing. And I see the... The pictures that you post on Instagram and when you do your yoga classes and stuff and all these different places with the students and stuff like it seems so amazing such an awesome experience for them and it's very cool so, yeah I, I feel again super 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 humbled and super happy to be able to do that with all of them so thanks for saying that yeah, very cool um, so you talked about obviously being a musician so talk about when you started playing music how old were you? As a 13-year-old, Brian Pierce and I, uh, we just decided um, to start a band one day because we've, we've already had already been listening to all kinds of, you know, Led Zeppelin, The Doors, Black Sabbath, all kinds of stuff. And uh, we always had that appreciation with music, but it was something where we said, okay, you know, let's, let's just do this. And it started, and as a 46-year-old man, I can't believe I'm still doing it. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's something that definitely drives me. It's definitely a part of my life and definitely helps to keep me sane when things can get stressful, just like the yoga does. Mm -hmm. So did you always play drums? Yes. Um, always did, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess I would even say, like, you know, the seed of being a musician was even planted um, as a child. I mean, I remember the first song that I remember hearing was Yesterday by the Beatles. And I remember being two years old and uh, in, our, in our little foyer at, at, in our house, my parents who were not any, musically inclined by any way, shape or means. And I always loved music and I would always go into that foyer where they had a record player, a ton of records, and I would always get into the records. And I remember putting Yesterday on the record player and listening to that and just being blown away by those lyrics and how simple that song is, but yet how deep it was. And I think that was the beginning of actually getting on a path to becoming, you know, a musician or having uh, music involved in my life uh, as it is now. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about the Beatles, too. Like, I don't play yeah. music, but the Beatles are definitely the band that opened the door for me. I was about 10, 
And mm. I remember watching that they had the Beatles anthology on. So it was like oh, the 90s great, great. and they had that whole like three-part thing. And I remember yep. watching it and it, ch- it changed my life. Like then I was like, oh, what is this? And <laughs> that was it. Like it changed everything. So I love hearing, you know, other people having like, you know. So, so who's your favorite Beatle? Paul McCartney. Uh, see, all right, there we go. I love Paul too. <laughs> I have not Part. had a chance to see him live yet. It's on my bucket list, mm. but it is—it it is hard though because you know I really love George Harrison, but I really think I enjoy George Harrison more after the Beatles. So mm-hmm. you know, and I, I mean John Lennon, of course, you know, you just. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I had to pick a favorite, Which we, and we just <laughs> celebrated his. 39th anniversary of being shot. Yes, and I recently, actually you know. was able, we, we went to the Umphreys Brooklyn Run in February uh-huh. for Valentine's Day, my husband's birthday, and we went to the Dakota, and then we went to Strawberry Fields, and it was right. the most moving things ever. There were just all these people, and this random guy just stops and starts playing the guitar and singing Across the Universe. And mm. when he's like, people are singing, you know, this whole beautiful thing. And then he's done and he walks away and then everybody just kind of dissipates. And it was like, all these people came together for the, you know, this one moment. And I'm just bawling my eyes out. Like it just the emotion of being there. It was just like feeling his, you know, the presence, even though he's been gone so long, it was just amazing. The power that music has like that. It was just, it was so beautiful. Completely agree. I think it's and it's really something special in that how music has that effect on on everybody. You know, like I, I, I I've never met an individual who did not like some form of music. I haven't met them yet. I'm sure someone's out there, right, that doesn't like music. But when you have a collection of artists like what the Beatles were and how they can influence so many people. And again, it comes back to purpose, right? Like they were, there was purpose behind, you know, what they were doing versus just, yeah, they were passionate about it, but there was a purpose to, to be something more and to really tap into themselves, which then allowed them to grow into what they became and then how it affected so many people and all down the line, like just being, where you were had to have just been so emotional, but yeah, like you just said, like 39 years later, the effect that John Lennon still has on us is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So are you currently playing with bands in the area? Um, before we sort of hopped on the interview portion, you were mentioning doing sessions with other artists. Talk a little bit about that. Yep. Yeah, so actually I played with a group called Interstate Transit, and this is what's really cool, um, is that uh, in Interstate Transit is Jeff Harrison, who owns Festival Buddies, uh, but another guy named Aaron Standock, uh, who actually did the artwork for the new album, okay. um, He, uh, we three were in a band called The Mushroom Head Experience back in the, you know, 80s, 90s, and um, have been great friends, and when that band essentially fizzled and I got myself involved in Alibaba Sahini, uh, we've always stayed in contact and uh, even to now this day, which is wonderful, where um, we have a rehearsal space in in the basement of uh, Vegetable Buddies and we get together, you know, often and we write music and we get out, we play, you know, a handful of shows every year, not a ton, but it's something that, again, like just how music can bring people together and and it's something super special where I feel... um, 
that we've we've had this connection since we were in our you know teens and early twenties, and now we're all you know late late forties to fifty, and we've all still have this deep connection and it, and it centers around music and it just really holds us together. So um, Interstate Transit, a fun group to play with and I'm super blessed to be able to still ride with those guys. Awesome. Very awesome. So let's take it way, way back. <laughs> um, how okay. did you meet Jake? You mentioned there was mm. like all this sort of like stuff going on with music and whatever. So talk about that. Talk about meeting Jake and the idea to form Alibaba Sahini. Yeah. Um, so Jake was involved in a group called Bear, Bad Hair Tuesday at the time. And um, I was still playing with mu- the Mushroom Head Experience, and, and we were essentially getting near the, the end of our, our run. But um, we had a show at the Raskeller in Mishawaka, and... Jake and Bad Hair Tuesday ended up opening up for us, and it was just Jake and, and another guy named Nate on guitar and singing. And um, and I remember sitting back and watching them play, and just you know, was just like, holy smokes, this guy is really, really good. I mean, I like what they're doing as a group, but obviously Jake had he's he's got the it factor. And um, it wasn't actually that was probably about a month or so before the Mushroom Head Experience ended. And then I got a phone call, God, days later, I would say, from from Nate asking if I wanted to come and try out to jam with with uh, Jake and and himself to maybe get a project going. So I agreed to do that, and uh, we actually met up for our first jam session uh, at the Miami Street Studios in the basement of that joint. And um, I remember going through, uh, it was a couple hours, we played some songs, some ideas, and uh, there was a good rapport between all of us, but definitely between Jake and myself. And I just remembered saying, as we're playing these songs, you know, that this is a guy I'm definitely playing with. I don't care what it takes, what I have to do. I'm going to find a way to play with this guy just because he has the talent. But the other thing that was awesome about Jake is that he's super humble and he doesn't make you feel that you're lesser than, than, than he is. He makes you feel comfortable and he wants to lift you up and make you better too. So that was a big point of where I definitely wanted to play with him. Um, so that was set, uh, with us continuing to do some more work together with this bad hair Tuesday project. At the same time though, I was also jamming with Carl Engelman and Carl's band Juniper tree, which was a major band playing in the areas. The mushroom Head experience was playing as well. Uh, they had folded and, and I was just doing some uh, jamming with Carl uh, up at a rehearsal space that we both shared um, in the same building where the Mushroom Head Experience had a, had a rehearsal room and Juniper Tree did as well. And we were just doing some jamming, having some fun. And Carl was actually playing around on the bass at that time. And uh, I went to another rehearsal for Bad Hair Tuesday and they were like, God, we gotta find a bass player. We need to add that into this group. And I said, hey guys, I know somebody who's a guitar player, but has been playing bass and, and does it quite well. Uh, are you interested in having him come up with me next time we get together? And they said, absolutely. And then I brought Carl up 
to uh, actually Jake's house, uh, the Boondock Studio, and we had our first rehearsal, I believe it was in late August or mid-August of 1997, and right away it clicked for Jake, Carl, and I. We just were flowing, and after that rehearsal, uh, it seemed apparent where uh, we wanted to move in one direction uh, just because of all of our background training uh, as musicians, where the singer, Nate, he had a different idea of where he wanted to go. So he just said right away that he was essentially not interested in doing it anymore. And then Jake, Carl, and I decided that we would keep keep going. And again, that's mid to late August. And I believe then right after that rehearsal, I went down to Mickey's Pub and talked to the owner there and we ended up booking ourselves a gig for the next week so essentially within playing one rehearsal knowing this is what we wanted to do to all right let's get this thing rolling we had our first gig at mickey's pub a week later damn (laughs) yeah it was ridiculous (laughs) ridiculous but uh, we were we were pretty insane at that time we we really were um hungry for something um, magical to happen and hungry to put ourselves out there. And we just, I mean, we were rehearsal nuts. So we were rehearsing all the time and it was a lot of fun. And I think we challenged ourselves, but we were super stoked to be able to, you know, get out there and show everybody, you know, the madness of what Ali Baba Stahini, you know, would become. We wanted to put it out to people to let them see what we were trying to accomplish. Yeah. So talk about playing with Umphreys back in the day. So oh. so you yeah. opened for them, or you guys were just kind of all in that same local music scene going on at the same time. So talk about how that kind of started to meld together. Uh, yeah, well, some of those guys went to Notre Dame, and um, it just uh, – and Bayless, he's a local guy. So it's just um, – it just – I know there's like a kindred, kindred spirits uh, feeling that we all had with each other, um, where we all just enjoyed each other's companies, and and so uh, we would do shows where you know they would open for us, we would open for them, and it was just about how can we just have a fun experience because you know uh, South Bend wasn't totally thriving the way that it is now and and so we felt like you know you had to create a scene you had to do something uh, to bring people out and i just thought that uh and we all thought this that having this fun connection of you know what having those guys attending notre dame the sort of base that they would bring from the university and a lot of us you know being townies we had a good mix of, of fans that would come out to these shows and, and just created our own community and a, and a fun experience. And um, it just was something where I think we wanted to, to really make something happen. And obviously you had to just believe in what you were doing and you just had to put your foot out there. And, and we both believed in each other's as groups that we made a good combination. And that's why we started playing together so much. Very cool. So then talk about what happened with Alibaba's when you guys decided that you weren't going to be a band anymore. Uh, well, we actually did a couple things. Like one of the phases was uh, where Carl uh, ended up moving down to North Carolina. 
and that was back in 1999. And, you know, for a moment, we just weren't sure what we're going to do, but uh, Khalil Smiley, a great bass player, who I ended up, uh, I was actually working with him when I was working over at a place called Lula's Cafe in South Bend. Um, uh, he... Uh, stepped into the fold, and that's actually where we got, in, I think, a different experimental phase of Alibaba Sihinian. You can really tell the difference, too, on the difference between Hopi Champa, our first album, and our second album, which is Limbo Boots. And definitely more avant-garde sort of feel when it came to the music, a little bit more um, out there uh, where it wasn't so... I think structured on, on songwriting, it was definitely more of let's get experimental. And after doing a nice run with Khalil, um, he just didn't want to hit the road full time the way that Jake and I wanted to do. And so he was going to step aside and we sort of were a stalemate. We just didn't know what we were going to do. Uh, moving forward. So we just were off for a short time. And that's actually when Humphreys um, asked Jake to start jamming with them because after doing some shows together, obviously we would play together. And and uh, I think they were looking for, you know, another guitar player. And it just seemed silly when Jake and I talked about it of, of, of he not going on and playing with them because we were doing absolutely nothing at that point and weren't sure where we were going. So I definitely wanted, I encouraged him to play with them because it would be silly for him not to be out there uh, playing music. Uh, it's like, like you know, you, you take someone who's as talented as he is and you don't let him out into the world. It's like if, if the world never had Picasso, you know, you can't, Mm-hmm. What if he took that away from people to actually see, you know, or if you, if Jerry Garcia was never out there playing, you know, with the Grateful Dead or anything. It's like he's that kind of like an important musician where it was important that he kept rolling, even despite that we weren't going to keep going at that time frame. And super happy because, I mean, it, it really, I think, propelled Umphreys onto another level. And, it, and um, I mean, you know, the rest is history because you look at where they're at now. And it's, I think, it was a blessing. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, honestly, um, with this new album, with Alibaba's new album coming out, I think that what Jake has been able to do with his career with Umphreys, I think that's going to bring new attention to you guys. You know, there's going to be all these people that maybe don't know this part of the history, you know, that have, has no idea who Alibaba's is, you know, or, you know, has heard of, of Alibaba's but never listened to any of the music, or, you know, I think that this is going to breathe new life into Alibaba's as well, which I think is very exciting for you guys. So you did um, come back together, though, with Carl in 2004, I believe it was, to make an album. Um how did that idea come back, like to come back together uh, and, and make that? Yeah, uh, rock stars and lawnmowers—the um, feel-good record of the year, as <laughs> some people have said about that record. Um, yeah, that um, you know, it, we we actually did a one-off. We were just like, here's the thing about ABT. Um, despite us living 
in different places and doing different things. I think the most important thing for us was that we were friends, right? And, and that we respect and respected each other uh, and, and each other's uh, points of view and how to um, respect on where people are and, and to treat each other, you know, as, as human beings first. And that is something that I think really kept the fire going because even when Carl, you know, had stepped aside, Carl would send both myself and Jake music all the time. And we would talk on the phone and um, it never seemed to stop, you know, when it came to a creative process with us, even though he had left, mm -hmm. there wasn't uh, bad blood, you know, um, and Essentially, it just came to where Carl had a bunch of songs uh, that he wrote, and he was like, hey, check this out. You know, I, I'm kind of excited about these songs. And then we just started, well, this would be kind of fun to, like, maybe do a, a one-off show. Just why not, you know? And maybe we get Khalil to play, too. And that was actually back in 2003. We did a, um, a show up in Niles, and just a one-off night of, of these songs that Carl had put together. And... Um, you know, did I think a rehearsal or two, and uh, did yeah one one night, one night only, and uh, we all had such a great time at that show. We we're like, well, shoot, you know, there's there's magic still here. You know, regardless of us being in these different places and us doing these different things, there's still something there. And and so we decided that we would uh, pack up some gear and drive down to North Carolina where Carl was and down in the mountains there and uh, set up for a long extended weekend and, and see, you know, what we could do with some of these songs that, that were out. And, um, and it, that's what ended up happening with Black Stars and Lawnmowers. It was just a long extended weekend where uh, we wanted to see if we could make something happen, and, and sure enough, we did. And super stoked about the end result of it and the experience of, again, of just a bunch of guys who are connected to music, but there's a lot more on a respect level as human beings, and that's why I think everything sort of came back together again. Yeah, absolutely. And is, so that is the album where J.W. Powell comes in as well, right? Uh, actually, no, that is the, uh, not that one. Uh, Living Room is that album. Okay, the, okay. The, the fourth, the fourth official uh, um, album by Ali Baba Sihini. And that, that was one where, again, after we had done Rock Stars and Lawnmowers, we all felt good about that process and, and what we, how we had performed on it and what we did with it and the songwriting. So we wanted to keep rolling. And it was the same process of, of, of Carl. You know, writing some songs, Jake writing some stuff, it going back and forth between all of us, uh, and then deciding, okay, well, let's, you know, let's bring some guys up here, you know, to Niles, and, and we did that over numerous sessions where Carl came back up, and, and Justin actually was playing with Carl then at that time, and, and, and um, Carl really wanted him to be a part of the project, and I'm glad, because Justin's an incredible keyboard player and um mm -hmm. he really adds a different element to it something that was nice to have as an addition to the work we were doing um it's always nice being you know like a, whatever a power trio though um carl then actually you know was just playing more guitar than you know getting back to his natural element of, of, of being that you know songwriter and playing on the guitar but it's nice having 
you know, another instrument that could solo and could do it so well. And Justin was the right, uh, right addition. And um, bass player Jeff Hinkle actually played on that album as well. And, and Jeff was playing with Carl down in North Carolina. And so that's how Living Room sort of came about of the same process of, of us, you know, sending information back and forth, you know, through the mail. Then as technology started coming out, it was easier to send that stuff back and forth and then setting up times and, and doing some sessions. And, you know, Living Room took a, a long time. It took about five years to complete that record. But um, super stoked with the end result, um, not, not rushing on that one and taking our time. And, uh, and I think... You know, it's it's a really really solid album, and then definitely a, a, a boost up from rock stars to living room. I think just showed a little bit more maturity in our songwriting ability. Yeah, everybody was a little bit older and a little more seasoned. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yep. So Completely. let's talk about bottom feeders. Um, yes. This one was one that took a little bit of time to make. What, like about two years? Yeah, two years, uh, two years officially in uh, January. So, again, how how did the idea of this album come up? Well, uh, again, it just comes to us um, wanting to stay connected. I, I think it's important for all of us that, and I think this is a part of the concept of the album is. You know, you don't know what you have until it's gone, or, or, or you take things for granted, and most people do. And um, it's been very important to all of us to sort of stay in contact with each other because you just never want to lose touch because, again, friendships are something special. And then I would even go further in saying when you, when you play in a band together, and a band that you connect so well on, on, a, on a deep level as musicians, but also as, as human beings, that that's something that doesn't happen often. And especially for a group where everybody is extremely busy doing other things and living, you know, separate from, you, from each other as well. You know, and you're, when you're able to keep, you know, in contact and, and keep that, 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 that push to continue to, to stay in each other's lives and music's a big part of it, then I think it's, it's something that really can, can make you understand that you don't, you never want to take anything for granted. So um, that was a big part of it was all of us knowing, you know, we are a lot older now, you know, we're very m- more mature, but, you know, it's been a fun ride and we want to continue writing music uh, together because we have something special and we don't, ever, ever want to take that for granted. And, and we want to make sure that we're continuing to put music out there because people do like, you know, what we do, but I think it's also that we ourselves like being around each other and we like writing songs with each other because it, it comes, um, comes to be something extremely special once there's an end result. And that's the reason why we started working on bottom feeders was that we, we just knew that, Anything could happen to anybody at one given time, and you don't want to have any regrets. So let's keep writing music, and that's sort of what got Bottom Peters rolling for us. That's awesome. 
So you guys uh, brought in like a, a string quartet at one point into Boondock, and you've got some folks on there from back in the day, as you mentioned earlier, yeah. little Frank's on there, and I saw Brett Padgett's okay. name on there. So it really mm-hmm. did seem to be like, you know, kind of bring in everybody involved. Um, so what are some of your favorite tracks from the new album? Well, uh, definitely Last Night in America. Um, that is one song that um, that I feel it took a lot of work and effort to complete what it is now. But it's something that was worth the, the sweat and the tears. Um, uh, I remember hearing Carl play that song where it was just, you know, himself and acoustic guitar and just thinking like, wow, this song is brilliant and mm-hmm. it's something that we need to put out there um, because of just alone, like the meaning of the song itself was sort of the same concept of what, you know, this album was about, about, you know, that anything can happen and don't have regret and don't take anything for granted because anything can be taken away from you in a heartbeat. And uh, it really was a song that I thought needed to be on this record. And especially with how, uh, how we just built upon it, you know, there's, I think six, I want to say there's six marching drum tracks that I put on there at the very end of the song, um, uh, four, four to six kick drum parts that I put on that along with, with, uh, the, the numerous vocal parts that Carl layered upon it. And then the guitar that Jake put on the acoustic, uh, and it was just brilliant, brilliantly played. And then having the quartet was like the, 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 um, the cherry on top. It was something that we all knew the song needed something else and needed something a little bit more. And all of us thought that a quartet would be the way to go. And the special thing about that is that Carl's brother, uh, John Engelman is the one who ended up uh, orchestrating or writing the music for the, uh, the quartet to come in and play it. So it's actually the first time that Carl has worked with his brother on a project. And that's something I think is really super special too. That's very special. So where is where was the quartet from? Uh, they're actually from the Cleveland area, and um, I, I it was, well, it was my mission <laughs> to get a quartet on this. Okay. And uh, so I I was searching everywhere, you know, Chicago, Fort Wayne, Indianapolis, and South Bend. I went down to talk to the South Bend, you know, orchestra, uh, uh, the symphony. I went to Notre Dame where we have, you know, a music program looking there, IUSB, um, Goshen College. I could not find a quartet to save my life. And we're getting near, we're getting near the end. Oh God, I couldn't get anybody to come out. It was I was like, I can't understand this. I don't understand why nobody wants to play on this. Um, but now, you know, now I know the reason why is, and, I just happened to open up, you know, uh, my computer, and I got an email from uh, from Notre Dame, uh, from the Departello Performance Arts Center, and it talked about the Callisto Quartet was going to be performing there, and uh, the Fish Off winners uh, uh, of, of that year, 
And so I clicked on, you know, their little link to their website and I clicked on, you know, a video and there they are playing and I was completely and utterly blown away by it. And I was just like, you know what? See, there's a little contact um, link here. I'm going to go down and click that and I'm going to ask these guys if they want to record a song. And sure enough, they were they were super excited and wanted to perform on the album. They liked what they had already heard uh, from Alibaba's, and they came in in an afternoon that they had off, and they cut that uh, their their part. They cut that part, and uh, I believe it was two tries, um, which essentially was they ran through it once without us recording, and then they just laid it down one time when we were recording. We laid another uh, track just to give it a little bit of extra beef, and that was it by them. I mean, they crushed it. And so that, I believe, was the real reason why that um, I could not find anybody because I had to find them exactly to to play on that that track. Absolutely. Nothing happens by accident. I believe that. You know, there's the right people are meant to do the right things and it's beautiful i mean it's just it's beautiful so good job (laughs) yeah thanks um i do like um uh dancing with the rat as well uh i think that's a great uh, track and what was the fun thing about that um song is that uh when carl presented it it was actually in halftime so it was um or cut time so it was it was a lot slower than what it is now and our approach then was well if you have the song and it's half time well let's shake it up a bit let's actually double time it and let's see how that sounds and i think it gave it more of a um you know like a a radio head punk kind of feel to it and i think we're all kind of excited about that different direction and um actually that track and then the title track bottom feeders which was one that we actually wrote in the studio in the moment um both both dancing with the rat and and bottom feeders actually has a friend of ours uh named melissa mcqueen who laid the vocals down on that and she um has been a friend of 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 mine for a long time and she's played in some different uh bands in the area um and I was happy that she was able to come in and lay her vocals down, and she did an amazing job yeah. uh, on that as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's a fantastic album. I've listened to it Thank a few times. I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited for you guys to to have this out and get it in some pe- new people's ears. And it's, you mm. know, everybody, everybody needs to give it a listen at least once. I think they'll, uh, I think they'll enjoy it. So that's everything I have. I don't know if there is anything that uh, else you wanted to share or touch on or anything maybe I didn't cover that you thought you wanted to talk about. Um, I guess the only thing that I would say is uh, that, you know, the, the purpose behind this record was one where, with the intention of it, you know, taking from our past and propelling us and everything into to the future. You know, um, it's a definite record where we thought that there was a lot of maturity happening as songwriters. And again, one where we didn't want to take anything for granted, which is a big reason why, you know, we have all the, the guest players 
that we do have on the album, like like Frank Krakowski, who's you know uh, from our past, and we we thought it would be important to have him a part of this project uh, because he's been an an important influence to us, or or Brett Pageant, you know, someone who's been a part of our lives from the past. We thought it was really important to have him on it. Um, on the um, breakfast bourbon choir that we have, you know, on, on um, a thread from Abraham and on um, bottom feeders, uh, having Jim Leap, who was <laughs> recording and producing the album, to be on that. And our, our buddy Steve Pierce, who who uh, is a, an amazing sound engineer, has done sound for me and all the groups that I've been with my whole playing career, to be on that. And and uh, we just thought it was really important. To, um, to make a record where we can honor the people from the past. Oh, and I'm sorry, like um, um, Gretchen Priest, who the fiddle player who's played on numerous tracks on the album. Um, she had someone from our past as well who had a major influence on us. So we felt like it was a part of making a record where we can honor some of these people that we played with and not taking what we learned, not taking anything for granted, you know, from the past and how we can, you know, stabilize you know, where we are in the present to send us off into the future as musicians. And it was, it was just a, an absolute honor to be able to share a lot of this space with these, these musicians who, you know, from past and hopefully future too. And that all comes out, you know, in, in this album, you know, when you're listening to it and it, you can tell it's, it's, it's yeah. great. I, yeah. I would, I would hope so. You know, I think it's, there's a lot of intention of, of um, and I think this is something that we, if you listen to Alibaba Tahini albums, you know, from the first one to this one, it, it, it sort of it sort of goes everywhere, right? There's there's a little bit of hard rock, there is some jazz influence, there is some country, some bluegrass, there is um, just straight up funk. There's a little bit of everything that we feel it is important as, you know, as, as musicians that we hit all of these areas that we've been influenced by, but how can we continue to mature on those elements and how can we make them better? And, and a, a major part of it was adding a lot of these people on this record to make it the best it could be. Absolutely. I agree. Well, I'm very excited for everybody to hear it and that it starts streaming two days after this airs, January 9th, and also comes on vinyl. That's very awesome. This is the first Alibaba's that has been pressed on vinyl, is that correct? That is correct. Um, but Jim Leap is really pushing to get living room. He is. <laughs> he is. And, and I'm sure that will happen. Too. Yeah, I'm like, let's do this. Let's make this happen because we, my husband and I, are yeah. vinyl nerds. So we're like, yes, please do that. <laughs> is it, and isn't that, isn't that amazing to like how, I mean, how everything comes back around, right? Like, mm -hmm. but vinyl is something that, I mean, it never fully died, you know. Yes, cassettes died. The eight track, where is it? You know, right. oh, but yeah. vinyl has always, always been solid. And uh, and you know, I mean, there's something just about putting that needle on that record, and the way it comes through the speakers is like no other. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I want to say thank you for. Me chat with you about this. Um, I really do appreciate, you know, your support of Humphreys, but for Alibaba's too. And uh, it's been an honor to, to talk with you. Thank you.
Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for talking with me about all this stuff and just absorbing all of it. I love listening to all this history and everything else. And just, I'm so excited for this new album. I'm so happy that it's finally here and able to be listened to. It's been such a tease knowing that it was there, but it just wasn't ready yet. So thank yeah, you so yeah. much for your time. This, is, this has been really wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. My pleasure. So that's everything I have for this week's episode of the show. Thank you again to Steve Crojo for chatting with me. It was such a pleasure, and I am so, so grateful to him for his time. I hope that all of you listening enjoyed our conversation as well. The new Alibaba Sahini album, Bottom Feeders, is available for the first time on vinyl and streaming on January 9th. Make sure to check out that and all of the links in the show notes for a whole bunch of Alibaba stuff to dig into. If you have any questions or comments about this episode or anything else, please feel free to reach out. I love hearing from you guys. How you can contact the show is in the show notes as well. Thank you again for joining me. I hope you'll tune in next week for part one of my complete recap of the recent New Year's Eve run in Denver, Colorado. Very, very excited to break down everything that run had to offer for you guys. You're not going to want to miss it. Thank you again. I'll see you around these parts next week. Mad love. Surprise from me, old oh, so.